Welcome to the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Kara, the podcast for Central Floridians who want to be in the know on what's happening in Orange, Lake, Osceola, and Seminole counties. Sponsored by the Central Florida Home Brewers, the premier craft and homebrew club. Learn to brew beer, kombucha, mead, or make wine. Visit www.cfhb.org. Now, here's your host, Mike Kara. Well, welcome back to our next edition of uh, the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Carey here at Dead Lizard Brewing in beautiful Orlando, Florida, as the Central Florida homebrewers are having their general membership meeting. And with me today is a member of the Central Florida Homebrewers, Mr. Jim Gilson. And Jim, it's a pleasure and honor that you could join us once again. And once again, I want to talk about your fantastic ciders that you make because you really have a lot of uh, ingenuity, a lot of creative ideas and we want to talk about those but what's the process you know we're going to go through some of the 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 flavors but i mean is there a situation where you just say hey i think this this will work for a cider Uh, there is there is the process and the first step of the process for me was to go ahead and get a a base cider and uh, make that consecutively and have good product and drinkable and and then move from there to a Perry because uh, kind of partial to Perry's. And then uh, we've made several of those, uh, done, have done well with them. They've been tasty. And, and then just, uh, you know, as you cook or as you buy things from the store or you try other products even, you get inspiration from the places you don't really look for it. But uh, I think it was I was having uh, getting blueberry jam to put on a peanut butter sandwich, and I thought, you know, I like blueberry. Why don't I give that a try? And, and, and we ended up with a blueberry cider, uh, very tasty, really enjoyed that. And so really the process is just uh, if you find something that you like and, and enjoy the flavor and things click and a light bulb goes off. So, I mean, for you, Jim, is there like certain amount of batches you make when you, you do like a test for the first time? Do you make full batches or you just go all in when you try a new flavor? <laughs> I want to go all in, but I've learned not to. Right. <laughs> so uh, what I'll do is I'll brew up either a standard uh, perry or a standard cider and I'll break it out into to one gallon jugs. So usually I have enough to get... Uh, five and a half, six, one-gallon individual jugs. And then uh, from that point, try different ideas and see where it takes me, uh, see what the combinations uh, taste like, see if I want to do it again, you know. <laughs> oh, so now let's talk about, now you actually have, your audience can't see, but several medals you won. So where, first of all, did you win these medals? Uh, my, my lovely wife, Kathleen Gilson, and I won these medals at the last hot and humid competition. Uh, from Brewers Anonymous, and uh, they uh, were able to uh, open up their uh, competition to all of the styles and uh, BJCP guidelines, so we were able to enter our ciders and Perry, and uh, my lovely wife won a silver medal for a Perry that's nicknamed Pear a Dice, uh, a lovely Perry. It's a little bit softer. Uh, I wouldn't call it a dessert drink, but ju- just delightful. Uh, I was fortunate enough to pick up a, a bronze medal for uh, what I call apple a day, which is pretty much a standard, easy drinking cider, uh, a little lighter on the palate, something for summertime, and then pick up a um, 
a silver for what I call the sunny day dreams. And uh, very tasty. I, I believe that's the one that I started incorporating a little bit of lemon with. And uh, so lemon, sunny day dreams, summer all seem to come together for me. Okay, Jim, I thought it'd be fun if I listed ingredient that I'm, I'm thinking of, and you let me know what you think that, that would make, if that would make a good cider. The first one I'm thinking is watermelon. What do you think about that? I think that would be excellent. I, I think that would be nice. Uh, watermelon is refreshing. I, I would probably try a test batch of something like that uh, near the end of spring and uh, see where I can go with it. But it sound, sounds delicious. It sounds very nice. Okay, now I got an interesting one. Cucumber. Uh, I have had cucumber gin and tonics before, and they're delightful. And I think it would be interesting, but I'd have to... I'd have to figure if how how much I might need to back sweeten the cider, um, but I, I I think it'd be refreshing, especially for a summer drink. I think it's a great idea. How about something like a kiwi? Kiwi, I think, would be tasty. I myself don't prefer kiwi fruit, but I'd be happy to try it if somebody wanted me to. Um, I think for me, kiwi would be a little bit more difficult to balance. Cucumber would be fun. Kiwi might be more difficult to balance just because, for me, it's so acidic. Uh, I might try a a kiwi and something else um, to bring that acidity down. I'm not sure what it might be, though. Okay. And how about pumpkin? What do you think of that? (laughs) Well, I like the idea. A pumpkin cider doesn't sound bad at all. Uh, You'd have to decide... uh, uh, what what temperature you wanted to serve it to your guests at? But sure, I would try a pumpkin cider. I I would probably uh, research how pumpkin ales are made, and then look at uh, when I wanted to add the adjuncts of the uh, the spices that are included. But I think it'd be fantastic. I think I think a good combination would be if you could get a bit of a caramel apple. Oh, there you in, go. In, in with that yeah, pumpkin. Yeah. I think that I'd just knock it out of the park. Yeah. Okay. And now, um, Jim, I want to talk. Now, I know you use pears, obviously, you know, with your Perry's and that. But, you know, one thing I get at Publix that I really like is that a little more expensive is those red pears. And I'm sure, do you work with those? or I do. I, I, I want all of the people listening to us to go ahead and go forth and pursue their dreams and try different things. I'm just a little bit stingy on giving out my techniques, though. Right, sure. I, 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 I'll just say it. Uh, we, uh, if, if anybody ever wants to get with me when I do a, a Perry Insider, you can get get a hold of me through the club, come to one of our meetings. We can talk about it. I'd be happy to have you come on over, and we'll do one together. Okay. So you, you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you do the traditional you know cider so when you you hear the name of okay jim make me a traditional cider what does that usually include then well i i would have to to question are they looking for an english style cider or a french cider right uh and personally um i would be looking at uh the the ph what i'm going to end up with my ph if i'm going to use any adjuncts in it uh uh, French ciders are much softer. They're more delicate. For me, they're more difficult to try to replicate. Um, an English cider is a little bit easier uh, for me. It, it's kind of like brewing an ale versus a lager. But but if somebody asked me for a cider, I'd probably ask them, do you want just a plain apple cider? Uh, would you maybe like a, a little bit of English hops in it to give it a little bit of funky? 
or 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 what you what have you tasted before that you like? All right, and you just mentioned Jim about putting hops in there. Is that something you do often? Is to put hops in the cider or no? Uh, no, I, I don't. But I, I'm a real aficionado of English hops. I, I like the the cheesiness and the funkiness of it. It gives it any uh, uh, session beers, uh, you know, brown ales or whatever. It gives it a lot of interesting qualities for me and i just haven't experimented with it yet i don't think i've remembered when i've been at the homebrew store but i think it would be something fun to do on the lowest perception level that you could get to uh maybe make a hop tea and try some english hops in it uh apples have some really interesting flavors uh different batches of apples different styles of apples and uh it might be fun it might be something that's uh not only refreshing but it brings you back for glass after glass because of that intriguing flavor and jim for you how many flavors or how many fruits do you think is enough for too too much i mean you don't want to say put eight ten different fruits but i mean is there a point where it's just too much of a concoction or there is yes most definitely and and uh at least for my level of uh, brewing I would really move no more than two okay two two, two fruits it, for me the idea is that it's my level of knowledge isn't high enough to be able to balance those flavors so that you can either taste them uh, individually through the flavor profile or have them all melded into one delicious flavor. But I'm glad you asked because now you've given me something else to try. <laughs> and I appreciate that. <laughs> I do. Oh, So, you know, when we're talking about uh, ciders, does citrus like orange and lemons, I mean, does that, that fit into the cider world? Or? It, it does. It does. I was really surprised with the lemon I did, yeah. uh, how delightful it was. Uh, it was subdued. You still got the apple, and uh, it fit in very well. Uh, when I did a perry with some lemon addition, and I got the lemon a little bit too high. It subdued the, the pear aspect, but I'll, I'll try again. And I would like to do orange. I would like to find some tasty orange, and uh, I don't, I'd probably end up doing that with a, with a pear, a perry. And maybe, maybe a hint of lemon to add some subtleness and uh, increase the... Um, complexity of, of the flavor and something for the aroma too just kind of a bouquet like a good spaghetti it's got a lot of different aromas and flavors in it and now we finally uh jim we want to talk about the the sugar debate as you know my dad and myself we like to put in a lot of sugar i mean so my question is is it okay just to put no sugar and use the sugar from the the apples or is it good to put a, li a little sugar in additional I I, I would come down on the side of a, a little, at least a little sugar addition. Okay, a little. I, I really would, and, and for a variety of reasons. Uh, it's going to help boost the uh, fermentation a little bit. Uh, depending on what type of sugars you use, it'll add to your mouthfeel a little bit. <clears throat> and that means, for me, it'll add to the complexity. So uh, ad adjuncts definitely have their their place in, in brewing and fermenting. And if they're looked at as part of uh, not only the technical aspect, but also flavor profile, I think sugar addition is a good thing. 
And do you find any advantage to like a brown sugar versus white sugar? Uh, not yet, but here again, you're tickling my imagination, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> we we talked about a pumpkin a little bit earlier, and I could easily see in a five gallon batch trying an addition of a. Uh, dark brown sugar now a person can always go for the uh, Belgian candy sugars for something unfermentable but I I like the idea of maybe in a pumpkin Uh, I'm not sure what other what else I would use in it but I I would use brown sugar in a pumpkin cider most certainly I think that's fantastic okay Jim we really appreciate your time any final thoughts or any uh, suggestions for all those individuals out there that want to make some good cider Uh, I would say say go out and and try it get it done uh start off with good notes uh that's always been my downfall is not enough good notes and i end up with something fantastic go out and give it a try if you're a, a, a foodie at all and you can identify flavors give it a shot uh hang out go to your local homebrew club if you're near us come to us Talk to people, gather information, and just jump off into the deep end. Give it a shot. If you can drink it, you can water the yard with it or something. But have fun. That's what life's about. Okay. Thanks so much, Jim. My guest has been uh, Jim Gilson from uh, the Central Florida Home Brewers. And uh, you are listening to uh, the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Kara as we are here at uh, Dead Lizard Brewing for the Central Florida Home Brewers General Membership Meeting. And please stay with us for our next segment of this edition of our program today. Well, welcome back to our next segment of this edition of the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Kara. As always, probably broadcasting here in uh, at Dead Lizard Brewing in beautiful Orlando, Florida, for the Central Florida Home Brewers General Membership Meeting. And now with me today is Mr. Jeff Hyder, who is the owner and head brewer of Hyder Head Brewery in Deland, Florida, who is here as our special guest talking. Uh, at a little presentation. We want to kind of have the spirit of that in this uh, interview, condense it down to about 10, 15 minutes here. And you talked about, Jeff, this is so, you know, interesting. This is so important. Unfortunately, I think no one really knows about it is natural beer carbonation through spunding. And uh, first of all, you know, uh, what is spunding and why is it so important? Yeah, so I want to thank you first to just the fact that uh, you guys had me here. I really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. Um, really nice uh, welcome, and I just can't be happier. So I really appreciate sure. that first. Sure. Um, natural ferment, natural carbonation. All right. So in the UK, they've been doing this for literally a thousand years. Um America, for some reason, has decided to force carbonate their beer. Um, it's not been done that way ever. So uh, my little uh, presentation here, which, you know, humbly I appreciate you letting me do, it talks about the importance of that. The importance of that is that it makes really, really good beer. It, it, it adds a creaminess, uh, small bubbles, beautifulness to your beer that's been that's been done for a long time in in the uk especially germany so um uh brewers out there that are listening need to remember everything you put in your beer 
makes your beer taste like that. So that that's something that I learned at, at taking classes with a German uh, a brewer. So um, that's so important. So if CO2 smells bad coming out of a tank and you put it in your beer, it's going to make your beer taste like the CO2. So if if you naturally carbonate your beer, the beautiful smell that the natural CO2 comes out is going to taste or smell, your beer is going to smell and taste like that beautiful flowery smell that comes out of there. It's a beautiful thing. And it, 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 I didn't invent it. I'm not a genius. I, I just happened to learn this from a, the the way they brew in Germany, and I'm like, wow, I'm so privileged to know this. So I just wanted to spread that, help the home brewers to, to know that, and uh, see if they can do that. So, Jeff, we did have a chance to try some of your Heiderhead beer. Excellent. So all your beer then is done with this spunding then? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we, we do not force carbonate any beer. We, uh, we do it with um, pressure. Our tanks hold. We, we bought all our fermentation tanks from Germany. Uh, we use uh, Browmaster. If you want to buy that, that's okay. But, um, we love that company. They've been supportive all along the way. Never had an issue, so we didn't really have to call them for anything. <laughs> no, no breakdown issues at all. Uh, and you, they'll hold 30 pounds of pressure. So we, we ferment everything, hold it to 22 pounds of pressure in the spunding valve. And in 10 to 12 days, we have perfect beer ready to pour as soon as it's, it's done fermenting. Now, the big question is, we know how you do it. And I, I know a lot of our listeners are saying, okay, this spunding sounds great. Now, what do I do? How do I go about it? How does a home brewer such as, as my dad and myself? convert from priming sugar to this okay so more brewer a more beer actually has a little spunding valve that you can buy now i'm not promoting more beer right but because i made my own little pop-off valve if you will little spunding valve on the top of a chapman tank it's a stainless steel tank eight gallon then i i drilled a hole through it put put washers on both sides and, and made my own spunding valve when I was home brewing. And, and what happened was you could control it. Now, a Chapman tank will only hold like seven or eight pounds of pressure. So a home brewer can do that, hold seven pounds of pressure. You just need more time. So after 30 days, you'll still have a fully carbonated beer. I do it faster because I'm in the commercial business. So I bought the the fifteen thousand dollar tanks that hold the pressure. But for a home brewer, you can you can do it with a little Chapman tank. They're they're like a hundred dollars, and you can um, you can you can add that. It's already got the hole drilled in the top for you. You you don't have to worry about that, and it will release the pressure and do everything you need. Just you have to let it ferment for a for a full month. Oh, okay. So I mean, as far as expense, is this something when you convert over to this spending? Is there a lot, lot more expense or less expense? Or well, you won't need a CO two tank ever. 
<laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, only to push your beer out if you have a tap system. So we we do that at the brewery. So we have we have a, a CO2 tank that sits there that pushes the beer out of the kegs that we already have carbonated naturally into the glass. So the little two pounds of CO2 that's pushing the beer out does not affect the natural carbonation. So it would it would take at least what three months or so before two pounds of pressure would would absorb in the beer. And we sell so much beer, it's never there for for more than a week. So under that kind of pressure, so it doesn't it doesn't affect that. Oh, okay. So I mean, how much you know more time does it take? You know, I mean, the, the whole brewing process with this funding then. It's actually uh, quicker. Oh, it's quicker. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, the yeah, it's it's a better process, and it you know it's it's an ancient process, and it it is actually saves you time and money because you won't need an ex you won't force carbonate your beer, so you don't need to refill that CO two tank. You 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 will need a CO two to if you have a tap system push the beer out, but you won't need to carbonate your beer anymore oh so yeah this sounds uh really uh cool jeff and uh so do you have we've got a a a sheet here do you have somewhere where you've got more information on your website or is there there's good places people can go to get the you know more information on this or um yeah we're building an extra page on our website to talk about that uh at hiderhead.com uh, but uh, really, if you Google um, yeah, natural carbonation, the Internet is, is almost totally devoid of any information. In the U.K., it's the standard practice. And if you tell someone in a convention or at a, uh, uh, over in, in, the, in Germany or anywhere, you know, you force carbonate, they will not know what you're talking about because they do it naturally. And it's just been the standard. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to post some of this information, have a new page on my website. But unfortunately, it's almost impossible to get this information. That's why I'm, I'm going around talking about this and, and trying to help some people to make really good beer. Because I believe that's the goal, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's the goal. So you're, you're, you mentioned that you're, you're going around to different places and promote, promoting this. And yeah, we encourage everyone listening to promote this too. Okay, uh, Jeff, like uh, w- w- I was saying, we're, we're going to be visiting you hopefully soon, you know, at the Burry, and we'll talk more about the Burry. But before we go, we just want to kind of talk a little bit about your, you know, Burry here, little preview, uh, and, you know, as far as when you started and a little bit about what you're doing. Okay, um, great. So before, before we go into that a little bit, um, according to Brewers Magazine, I'm one of only six brewers in the whole United States that, that ferment their brew under pressure so oh. we recapture the beer it's growing in in, in popularity uh, I'm sure by the time I'm talking to you now there's probably eight right there, there's more and more doing this and because they realize oh my gosh this has been going on for a thousand years in the UK something is missing in the United States so but we started in September 11th 2020 we opened the doors 
I'm, it just happened to be September 11th. Right. Uh, it was it was such a incredible day. We have we're right next to the Deland Fire Department, and and a, a few of those guys wear kilts. They play bagpipes outside and during the day. So we're a Scottish brewery. Uh, we're all themed that way, and these guys. As soon as we opened up, they all came in that day. They they, it was amazing. They they all loved the brewery. They were you know they were playing bagpipes. It was a tremendous, amazing day that we opened. And so since then we've really tried to hold true to the to the the Scottish theme and brew like they do in the UK. Okay. And finally, uh, Jeff, you have a haggis beer special or <laughs> haggis a glass of beer? We serve haggis. That's, we have a. You do? Yes, we do. Oh. Um, I make it myself based on my my mom's recipe. Great. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, we <laughs> serve great. haggis. It's it's a beautiful. We we have a restaurant license, so we do food. Oh, great! But. Um, uh, haggis is served on a toasted bun, right. not in a sheep's stomach. Okay. In case people are having aversion to that. Yeah. <laughs> we serve it on a toasted bun with uh, with um, cheese and sauerkraut. Mm. It's really good. Okay, maybe maybe I'll try one when we we come there. Okay, uh, Jeff, any f- uh, final thoughts or anything else about Spunding or the brewery or? Um, no, I really appreciate people coming out. It's really nice. We've been we've been packed, busy for the last two years. It's been an amazing, amazing adventure. Uh, we just signed up with Wayne Dench to distribute all through Orlando. So um, I expect our business to continue growing. And I really appreciate you doing this podcast and appreciate me being here. Uh, I, I, I'm just really humbled by that. Thank you so very, very much. Sure, my pleasure. And one last question. You said that you are si- have a six-barrel system. Yes. You know how many pints of beer is in six barrels? Oh, oh my God. Um, it's 180... 180- 180 gallons. Uh, I'd have to do the math real okay, quick. Um, <laughs> 128 ounces per gallon. I don't, I don't know. That's right, all right. Just, just, my thought head. I, just thought that, that PD. But yeah, sure. My, my pleasure, uh, Jeff. Okay, my gift has been Jeff Heider from Heiderhead Brewery talking about spunding and his brewery today. You've been listening to the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Kara as we are here at Dead Lizard uh, Brewing in beautiful uh, Orlando, Florida. Uh, for the Central Florida Homebrewers General Membership Meeting, and please stay with us for our very last segment of this edition of our program today. Well, welcome back to our very last segment of this edition of the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Carey here at Dead Lizard Brewing in beautiful uh, Orlando, Florida, as the Central Florida Homebrewers are having their general membership meeting. With me today is owner and head brewer of Dead Lizard, uh, Mr. Richard Dine. And Richard, it's such a pleasure, honor that you could join me today. And first, thank you so much for providing the Central Florida Homebrewers with such a, uh, you know, a beautiful, beautiful home and a, a place to have a few beers and get a lot of uh, meeting stuff done. So, uh, you know, t- t- tell us, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about home brewing. Is that how you started was in home brewing or? Excellent. Uh, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, and thank you for coming out. 
Um, Dead Lizard really um, appreciates uh, uh, these kind of a fun events like this. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I really uh, like to be able to give back to homebrewers because that's where uh, it all started for me. Um, third generation, my granddad brewed, my dad brewed, and it passed it to me. Uh, so I've been doing it my whole life, and I really just love uh, to be able to, you know, uh, provide a space and it, you know, um, give uh, give to the homebrewers because uh, that's where I started, and that's that's why you know we're all here. And I understand that, uh, you know, you provide uh, things like, I guess, with the Sunshine Challenge that, uh, um, you know, you, you allow uh, the, the club to, to put in, uh, you know, the beers in your cooler and you, you really help as much as you can to support the club, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we have uh, plenty of uh, room in our cooler. Actually, we're starting to get pinched on cooler space. So I'm actually building another cooler. Oh. Uh, and so they'll have their uh, a brand new cooler. Uh, come this year's challenge uh, so they can work out of that and it'll be nice and uh, toasty cool in there. Uh, so yeah, I love to be able to give uh, a space and the opportunity to, to do these challenges and uh, we even uh, proudly display um, the past winners and current winners uh, of the Sunshine Challenge over here on the wall. So we are uh, absolutely uh, love it. So I understand that there, there, there might be a chance that you'll be having some of the activities of Sunshine Challenge here? Or? Yeah, uh, I've been approached uh, from a couple of the club members about you know doing a few things here uh, and maybe uh, some potential judging here. Right. Um, in the past, the judging, as far as I know, has been off-site. I was uh, proudly asked uh, last year um, or last time uh, to be uh, an honorary judge, um, a guest judge, if you will. Uh, and so I, I was off-site, and I, I really enjoyed it, and I love just beer talk and, you know, talking about beers, and we just a great time. Uh, so, yeah, it uh, looks like they're going to try and move some of those activities here uh, on-site, so that sounds great. And, uh, Richard, I wanted to talk about, you know, one of my favorite beers. That's the Key Lime uh, okay. Ale, Cream Ale here. So how did you come up with this uh, idea? I mean, did you know that right away you were going to come up with a Key Lime beer? Or? So, um, like I said, I've been brewing for a very long time, and this beer came out long before I started the, the idea of o uh, owning a brewery. Right. Um, I had met my wife at the time, and she was like, I don't like beer. I'm like, okay, I'm going to find a beer you like. Right. So I just started making all these crazy things, uh, and Key Lime was one of them that ca came up. And I'm like, she's going to like this. Yeah, she's going to – nope, she didn't like it. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I'm going like, well, she doesn't like it, but this is pretty good. <laughs> so uh, several of the beers are actually uh, an attempt to find something that um, uh, my wife, who doesn't like beer, would drink. And it just never, uh, it never came about, uh, but uh, it came uh, some great beers in the process. And Key Lime is one of those beers that came from my search to find something she would like as a beer. <laughs> so, I mean, do you have a lot of, you know, homebrew recipes that you, you brought to uh, this brewery? Or? Every one of them. Oh, so they're, they're, they, all, they all came from that. But, I mean, obviously, when you were converting, I mean... So when you were homebrewing, you were making, what, like five gallons or? F five or ten, uh, depending on the batch. And now you make a lot more. <laughs> yeah, 310. <laughs> oh, wow. Right. Wow. So, I, I mean, is it a, a matter of a lot of mathematics or calculations to just times, you know, to, to for the, the batch to be made? or? So, um, we're not so big that the calculations are really crazy. 
Um, for the most part, the malt calculations is pretty, um, pretty, pretty, just you know times thirty one, but um, the hops calculations is not. Uh, so you have to, uh, it, it's not <clears throat> as simple as you just multiply it times, you know thirty one, uh, with, with your ten gallon batch. Uh, you uh, have to like kind of use the calculations where you uh, assume that the hops is 125% ratio or whatever, and then you kind of back it down. So, um, and the same thing with the malt. The malt has a slight curve on it. Uh, it's not as it's not just exactly times 31, but it's pretty close. Uh, so yeah. Uh, when I was sitting in calculus class in high school, uh, I never thought I would actually use that stuff. <laughs> and here we are, calculating parts per million and all sorts of uh, ratios of fun stuff that I never thought I would ever use. <laughs> right. So, you know, we, part of the theme of this particular show is, you know, adding fruit to beer, adding fruit to, to cider. I mean, have okay. you ever thought of having an apple? Well, we know right now in order to have apple cider, you need a special license, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, it's just a different license. Uh, the way it works is if you have, it's what you're fermenting. So if I'm right. fermenting malt or grain of some kind, then that's a beer manufacturer. Right. If I'm fermenting a fruit, that would be a winemaker's or a cider maker's license, okay. uh, and, and so on. So, uh, yeah, if I wanted to do something with uh, over 51% fruit, I would have to have some sort of a, um, a, a different license. Not a big deal, um, but it is a little bit um, expensive right. if you are not doing a lot of that. Right. So what I can do is ferment something that is up to... Um, 49% fruit I think is I think that's I think that's right I have to check with my legal department right. uh, but I don't usually mess with too much of that uh, most of my stuff is really just you know pretty grain based um, but I do play with fruit like the key lime uh, every once in a while I've done some kind of a mango a habanero uh, IPA or something along those lines um, so there's definitely some stuff there's some coconut in one of the uh, the cucumber plots going on right now um, that's a porter that's um, it's like a German chocolate cake. So it's got chocolate, a little bit of caramel, a little bit of coconut in it. Uh -huh. So I do I do play with some fruits, um, but it's definitely one of those things you got to really kind of uh, temper it, I think, because if it gets too much fruit, then it's you know something different. We do use the fruit a pretty good amount in uh, some of the tonics we do, and the tonics are basically like a, a hard seltzer. So we have um, a good amount of um, fruit in those, obviously, to give them the good flavor. So you can do a hard seltzer with your license? Then. Yeah, technically it's, a, um, it's made from corn, which is a grain. Oh, yeah, right, right yeah. Yeah, thinking. <laughs> I about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it falls under our license uh, in any brewer's license because it's a grain, right. and grain is what we can ferment. Right, oh, right, right. So, I mean, for you, uh, Richard, do you when you come up with these ideas, is a the process then to start with a, a small batch? I mean, you know, when you're coming up with a new beer, what's the process for you? So, it depends on what it is. If it's something really crazy, I will definitely do a small batch. So, so I'll go back to my um, small system. We have a, a pilot system here um, that is a ten gallon. You know, it's basically a, a, an overgrown homebrew system, and uh, but a lot of stuff, uh, it, it's gotten to the point where uh, a, a pilot batch for me would be five barrels um, uh, these days. So if I, if I have an idea, I've, I've been doing this uh, quite a long time, so it's pretty, pretty certain that it's going to be okay. 
Um, it's, it's like cooking, you know, like when you start cooking, you know, your, your parent or whatever teaches you how to cook, you kind of get how to cook. And then when you go on your own, you're like, oh, I can make this. And so you make a batch of soup or whatever. You don't make a little teeny batch of soup. You just make the soup, right? Um, so you just learn how to cook. And then this is basically learning how to cook. And so I, you know, kind of dialed it in on this system. So um, if I want to do something that I feel is a test batch, any one of my test batches are right around five barrels. So. And uh, I had a chance to ask, you know, Jim Gilson, who makes cider, you know, how many ingredients or flavors is too much? So I ask you with a beer, do you think that there's a certain point when you put too many things in, it becomes too much of a concoction? Or, um, Yeah, potentially. I guess it depends on what you're doing. Um, so most of the beers are pretty, pretty simple. They're, you know, basically, you know, uh, water, right. hops, yeah. malt. Uh, yeast, obviously, and then you know sometimes we throw a little bit of flavor here, a little bit of flavor there. But the one, the one beer I would say is, um, that I've really kind of gone outside of what I normally do is the the Gila Monster, uh, and it's a uh, coffee, chocolate, cinnamon, vanilla stout that has uh, hatch peppers in it this year, uh, and the hatch peppers give it just a little bit of smoky flavor. They're not spicy, but all those flavors really meld together, and so if you do a good job of melding the flavors, then yeah, you can have all kinds of different flavors as long as they complement and make a nice rounded flavor as opposed to just throwing stuff at a wall and like, okay, you know, yeah, you, yeah, you, know you don't usually put, um, you know, some random ingredients in your, uh, uh, your spaghetti, right? You don't put vanilla in your spaghetti, right? I mean, so you know the things that would normally go into your spaghetti. Uh, if you're making spaghetti sauce, you put, you know, all the, the, the normal things in there and you just tweak them to uh, that nice round flavor and the same thing with beer so uh you know around the holiday time uh, richard yeah. do you do some sort of uh holiday beer and what would be a good holiday beer as far as ingredients so um yeah we we do holiday stuff now and again um I don't know. What would be good? I would like to uh, play with some cranberries coming yeah, up here. Yeah, because I, I like a little, little tart from the cranberries. Uh, and then if we put uh, just the right amount of hop to go with it and a good malt base, it might be just like this really nice malty hoppy, or uh, not so hoppy, but you know, a, a pinch of sour with the cranberry. Um, I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Yeah, no, you got, that's you got good. me thinking. Oh, yeah. Well, happy to, to, to do it there. Okay, uh, Richard, we, we do appreciate, uh, you know, your, your time. And so to let our audience know that you do have different beers coming in, in and out. And then you, so obviously this this key lime beer is a core beer because we've Absolutely. had it for a yeah, year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think right now we have 17 beers on tap. Um, I think only seven or eight of them are core beers, so it's always going to be changing. It's going to be, uh, uh, you know, we have some seasonals, and then we just have some stuff that I feel like making. Okay, okay Richard, and I know we talked about this a few years ago. Last time we had a nice visit, and that was about that you're not too far from the airport, and yep. if your if flight got delayed, oh, come man. on over. Yeah, we get a lot of that. People, uh, if your flight is, uh, a lot of times what happens, people come in, and the flight is uh, in before their hotel's ready, so oh. they'll come in, and then vice versa. They get kicked out at 11 a.m., but their flight's not till 5, so we see him showing up here uh, around lunchtime, getting a little lunch, and then having uh, a couple pints, and then uh, Ubering over to the airport. 
Oh, great. And you, you do have uh, food here then? We do. Uh, we changed our license in November of 19 to a 500 series uh, food cafe, basically. Uh, and so we uh, have a, just a nice little kind of pub menu. Um, some empanadas, uh, some uh, pretzel sticks, and uh, flatbreads, and uh, vegan spring rolls, and uh, you know that kind of fun stuff. Okay, Richard, any final thoughts or anything you'd like to mention here? Uh, I just want to say a shout out to the Homebrew Club for coming out here, and we really appreciate them, uh, and I appreciate you coming and talking with me. Okay, thanks, Richard. My guest has been Richard Dine, who is the uh, owner and head brewer of Dead Lizard Brewing, as we are here for the Central Florida Home Brewers uh, General Membership Meeting. You're listening to the Mike, uh, listening to the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Kara, and please catch us again next time. You've been listening to the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Kara, the podcast for Central Floridians who want to be in the know what's happening in Orange Lake, Osceola, and Seminole counties. Sponsored by the Central Florida Home Brewers, the premier craft and homebrew club. Learn to brew beer, kombucha, mead, and make wine by visiting www.cfhb.org. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you back here next week.